0: Welcome to Talking Not Ranting. My name is Alistair Field. And I'm Greg Smith. You've dropped in on our current topic series, The Struggle to Be a Good Manager. And today, our episode, we're doing another in the TNR 2.0 interview sessions. And in a couple moments, we're going to introduce Gary O'Neill. But let's set the stage. Greg and I have been friends for a long time. And this is interview number two today.
1: Yeah, I'm exhausted. No, not really. I get, I get energized by these things and, and uh, great conversations, both of them. I'm really excited about uh, catching up with Gary. We haven't seen each other in a while, and uh, but I do look from afar of the great work that you're doing. And so we're really excited about that. And we just finished up a great conversation with Jordan. so
0: I call it uh, a two-for-day. Two-for-day. That works. So just to give some uh, everybody some background, we've both been managers for a long time. We've both benefited from other people assisting us in our management development we've been hosting this podcast series dealing how we and others have missed the mark uh, and we've always called it the struggle to be a good manager as we work through this podcast series we realize there might be topics struggles or experiences that aren't our own and that we should welcome others to the table at the diner where this all started a number of years ago so in talking about Ping 2.0 we're getting a chance to learn and grow from others experience in managing and being managed great experiences which helped others grow It may be less great experiences that others learned what not to do. This is where we also get a chance to talk with folks who are doing great work to make our society a better place to be. And with everything that we undertake, we want to have a good, healthy conversation. Greg, always a good, healthy conversation.
1: Always a great, healthy conversation.
0: So welcome, Gary O'Neill, how are you?
2: I'm doing great.
0: So Gary warned us that he's a bit of a chatter. So we're not sure how this is gonna go because that makes three of us in the room. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Welcome to the hour three of Talking (laughs) Out Ranting. We might have to book you in for part two or part three later on because I'm not sure when our our reservation here ends. But uh, just let me give you a little bit of background on Gary. Uh, Gary is the executive director at Kerr Street Mission. He's been there for about 10 years. When Gary started at KSM, it was in financial crisis and the future of the organization was very much in question. At that time, KSM had little influence in the community and had lost some credibility in many circles. So he's led it through a revitalization. It's financially strong, very capable, has a great staff team. It's considered an essential organization throughout the community and is viewed as an important contributor to a number of important initiatives happening in the region. So Gary, thanks for coming.
2: Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you very much for the invite.
0: I love uh, I I love
1: uh, Street Mission and of course uh, it has been an amazing journey uh, when I saw that 2013 I I thought wow I remember having a conversation with you I think when you were still in your corporate role kind of trying to figure out where you want to impact in life and what you want to do and this opportunity came up and uh, wow how how time has flown
2: yeah and I remember meeting and we um I had started my own little consulting firm mm-hmm. and discovered really quickly that that was a really poor choice for my personality. And uh, and I remember having some opportunities to get back into what I did before, which I had been successful in, but I was dreading not getting offered the job and I was dreading getting offered the job. Mm. And I realized I, I was in a crisis and needed to do something different, never expecting it to be Kerr Street Mission.
1: Wow! Wow, yeah. As, and always the blessing of you find your way to the place you're supposed to be, you know, right? So, uh, so one of the things we love to just talk about, and uh, we're we're definitely going to dive into Kerr Street because there's just so much beautiful thing. I just saw a video of uh, a woman who and her husband who have been buying clothes and opened up a shop, uh, a free shop. For folks to come in and get new clothes for school, I mean, I was I'm sitting at home watching this video, my tears coming out of my eyes. But just beautiful people doing beautiful work and and, things, yeah. And we're we're gonna have a conversation around that in a bit because uh, I think uh, and I think part of what we want to talk about is as a leader, uh, I wrote a book called In Search of Safe Brave Spaces, and it's about creating spaces. Where people can be both safe and brave and I do believe Kerr Street is one of those places that uh, you've really helped through your leadership and through the beautiful people that work there have created so we love to dive a little bit deep into how did you kind of discover uh, what were your experiences as a leader or someone working for someone that that helped shape how you now lead at uh, Kerr Street.
2: Yeah, that's a hard question because there's there's so many things over the years that have shaped me. You know, it's interesting when I reflect back. I was the least engaged l- learner in school, and and that was always a struggle. But since day one, since I've started in in my career and especially in leadership, I am a very engaged learner. And so part of it is my learning style is learning by doing. And so there's experimentation and trying different things. And then the other side of it is I, I've discovered or I've realized, I guess, over the last few years that I'm not a goal-oriented person, but I'm a problem getting rid of a problem-motivated or a motivated person. Huh. And so then it's, you know, once the problem surfaces, it's we need a solution, what do we need to do? And so that's led a lot of my sort of learning and experiences over the years. But, you know, I had a hint about this question and I reflected on it. And, you know, one of the things that... I realized, happened, uh, someone made a comment and there was an experience when I was 17 years old and it has stuck with me to this day and it's a, and it shapes a lot of what I do. So I got a job at Muskoka Woods, 17, and I moved into the cabin that I was going to be staying in and there was an older woman that was cleaning our bathroom. In fact, she was scrubbing the toilet. The next night, we were moving docks and this older gentleman was helping and you know, it was up to his elbows in grease. We worked through dinner. And, uh, you know, he thanked us and said, you know, I'll look after us. And we went up and he made sure we had dinner. And then the next day, the owners of Muskoka Woods got up to speak to the staff. And that's who they were. And he, I talked to him, you know, that night he came and he thanked me again. And he made a comment about, you know, appreciating that we had such a good attitude And uh, I made a comment to him. I don't know what it was now, but his response was, I believe you should never ask someone to do something that you're not willing to do yourself. Wow. And I thought their humility of no job was beneath them. And, uh, you know, she was up to her elbows in the toilet scrubbing and he was up to his elbows in grease. And... uh, You know, and I I've brought that to Kerr Street Mission. It's, you know, we all need to do that, especially as senior leaders, is be willing to do, Mm -hmm. you know, other jobs. I I think of other things, you know, very, very fortunate. Um, I moved um, when I I used to work in pharmaceuticals. And when I moved to sales into uh, what we call performance improvement, um, which other companies would call training and development, And I honestly believe that everyone should be forced to go into a position of performance improvement because, uh, well, even to start off, the the manager was relatively new and the team expanded and he hired four very different people. And he made a comment right in the beginning is, I didn't want to hire someone like me. We already have me. And so we had very different ways of thinking, approaches, skills, and sometimes that caused problems because uh, we just went at things and thought about things different. But I really, really quickly learned that their approach was significant and important. There was just as many people that thought my way thought their way. So it was a lucky thing that I had them to make me see it in a different way. Um, Their contributions were great and they could do things that I couldn't do and I could do things that they couldn't do. And and it really changed my opinion of what a good team is and what a good teammate is, and uh, and how you work together. And again, that's another piece that has really helped me from from that day forward. Is when hiring, when building a team, you know, you got to have a variety, and and there should be some natural conflict. So your you know your your book about say brave places is you know you need to be comfortable to, to share your different opinion and we need to respect your different opinion and we need to talk it through and come to a, you know come to a, a, a new way of doing things um, and if and if there isn't conflict and if there isn't disagreement and some rub because we think differently then someone's not sharing and mm-hmm. we're missing. You know, we're missing an important part of the conversation and we're likely when we deliver whatever we're delivering, we're going to miss a group that – or we're not going to satisfy a group. I
1: love that. As you were describing the Muskoka – like Muskoka Woods for those listeners, it's probably the premier uh, camp – I would say in one of them in North America, in North America. I mean, for sure. you know, I I know that Goldie Hawn and 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 all any any actor who has a place in Muskoka, their kids go there, and anyone who goes there, it's this beautiful place uh, that is a that is amazing. And as you were telling the story, was I was I was just having flashbacks to my time at Marriott, and I remember the stories of Mister Mister Marriott, very similar stories of uh, they would. You know, they'd be in the hotel doing things and people think, who is that? And it was Mr. and Mr. Marriott. And that service orientation, that creating that space that we're all in this together. That was just a powerful story. And the second story that you told, I I just love that self awareness that I know who I am as a leader. I know who I'm not. And key is in finding that that's those uh, that can surround me that bring alternative skills and, and ideas and thoughts that help us be the best we can be. I mean it's this whole idea of the body has many different parts and we need all of them. Yeah. And so just a beautiful example. I love those two
2: stories. Yeah. You know, I mean it's and it's a lifelong journey because I keep learning about myself and and what I like, what you know gets me excited, what um, gives me more satisfaction. And, uh, and others are different. Mm. And, you know, in my role now, I see it even more so, um, because as the team is expanded and we bring people in, um, you know, there's, there's things that I, it's getting more complicated and, and, uh, you know, there's more controls required and more processes required and that's not me. And so if I had to do that and I had to focus on that all the time, I would be miserable. You know, and I've realized how much that goes against my natural personality. So having someone with those strengths is is really a gift and a blessing. Mm-hmm. But you know, to go back to the performance improvement, it was a fascinating experience, which which has really shaped me and prepared me for this role. Um, I would say it's, the, it's probably the greatest contributor to my success because the whole idea was, um, we need to assess and we need to evaluate. So you know what is really working, what's not working, um, how do we know it's working? You know what sticks with people. What what you know? What's the different uh, feedback of the entire group, not just one or two people? So we were always seeking feedback and. And, and trying to be creative in terms of how we would get that feedback. But then we also looked in a lot of areas, is is it leading to behavior change? Mm-hmm. You know, are people saying the right things? Or, you know, maybe they're enjoying something, but then nothing changes after. I would rather they didn't enjoy it, and then they changed and improved after. Mm-hmm. Um, and, then, and then another part of it was identifying best practices. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one of the things I like to say now is, you know, your opinion is important, and... And Alistair, your opinion is important and mine's important, but what's really important is the truth, mm. <laughs> you know, and how do we how do we dig that out? So searching for best practices was, was a, a key part of what we did. Mm. And, you know, there's a few lessons in there is one, almost everything we thought we did well wasn't nearly as good as we thought. <laughs> and I think if you have that attitude to start with, you're in a good place. The second thing is there's always room for improvement. Mm. And so if we go at it humbly and think, okay, this worked pretty good, probably not as good as we thought, where is there room for improvement? And you continually look for improvement and and, and the people around you, whether they're your colleagues or the people that report to you, see that humbleness. Mm. Um it, it creates a, a a really good atmosphere of mm-hmm. let's get better, let's do better, and 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 you know one of the things we do at Cur Street is talk a lot about why are we trying to be better. Mm-hmm. It's not so people think Cur Street mission is so great. It's because we're trying to serve people that are in need, mm-hmm. and if it was our family, we would we would want the best. So mm-hmm. let's give them the best. And uh, but a lot of that was shaped through that experience, and um, you know I wouldn't have known, and I wouldn't have had that attitude. If I hadn't have gone through that experience, mm.
0: that's so healthy, and it's something that's come up in, in the conversations between Greg and myself and a couple other guests. That, that that healthiness, that humility, that we can have a conversation. That you know there might be a better way. Different people around the table who have different experiences, education, uh, and and we need to have a good conversation. And like you said, if everybody's like you. It's not going to go well. Mm -hmm. And that's anybody in this room, right? Yeah. That is so good. And it's been a theme in in a lot of our conversations. Is is there um, some not so enabling experiences that have shaped you as well?
2: Yeah, there has. Um, Thankfully, I can't. They don't jump out the same way as the good ones. (laughs) Maybe that's my, you know way of just sort of pushing out the bat. But, you know, one of the things I, I, the first thing that popped into my head is performance reviews or performance discussions. And, uh, you know, so many books and leadership experts talk about the importance of those discussions. And and probably in all my years of working, I can think of one or two conversations that were actually worthwhile. Uh, And so, you know, it's a, it, I think getting that feedback is really important and being encouraged the, the right way is really important. Um, but so often we miss the mark. And, and unfortunately, um, I think back to some of the conversations when I've been encouraged to improve a weakness um, where, you know, again, it kind of goes back to my comment about if I have to be the process guy. You don't want me to improve that. You don't want me to focus on something I'm good at. Let someone else do that because it'll suck the life out of me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I've had quite a few of those conversations. Um, I can also think of a conversation with a manager when um, it was more nitpicking about stuff that didn't make himself feel good about himself. And uh, instead of me feeling empowered and excited um, I felt like I couldn't trust him or he was so sensitive that, you know, it was a no-win situation. And it was interesting because it came out later that other people didn't have the same level of trust in him that, you know, you really should have in a man- manager. And, you know, four years later, uh, we had a really good team. Not one of us was still there. Um, so, you know, that, that you know, the the idea of, um, getting good feedback and being encouraged and, uh, you know, someone seeing your strength and, and, and pushing and leveraging it towards using that, that strength um, is what jumps out at me when I start thinking about, you know, enabling and those that haven't enabled is, uh, you know, if some other people had recognized the strengths in me and encouraged me, I would have got to where I am now a lot faster. And, you know, funny, even when I think back to when I went into consulting, um, you know, one of my greatest strengths is working with people and rallying people around an idea. And when I went into consulting, I was spending 90% of my time on my own. Mm -hmm. It's like, why would I make that decision? Well, I made that decision because I didn't know myself that well. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize how important that was. And even in solving problems, we have at at Street a very sort of consultative decision-making process. Um And part of it is because people's comments and people's insights and people's struggles all sparks ideas in me and gets me rolling. And then, you know, then that rolling gets you know, gets people to start sharing and, and how they really feel and what they really think. And then we can start to pull something together. Um, when I think back to, you know, a lot of the managers I had, they didn't they didn't enable that understanding in me and enable that skill in me, I learned it the hard way by going and do it, choosing to do the opposite. <laughs> and then when it not worked out, realizing, hmm, why Why am I doing this? Where, where should I be? So I don't know if I answered your question. I sort of went in a circle there.
1: I thought that was great. <laughs> uh, um, I, one thing that's – a couple of things that were bubbling up in my head were uh, – um, how have you then taken these insights? And you started to touch on it there one way that you're creating it at Kerr Street. Uh, but g- one or two examples of where you've seen some of those learnings that you got, the good stuff, uh, and maybe even the learnings that you you say, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do something differently that really made an impact in the community uh, at Kerr Street. Because I was just thinking about, you know, as you're creating solutions, it's a very complex client group that you serve. Very diverse, uh, really complex and and differing life situations. So really needing to be inclusive in your thoughts and ideas. One solution does not fit all, Mm -hmm. but I'd love you to just, if there's one or two, uh, this may not be a question that we had, but one or two examples of where you've seen by able to create that space that you've been able to deliver really cool solutions and ideas.
2: Yeah, well, you know, not only are the are the clients complex, but the sector's compl- very yeah. complex. And part of the reason I think the sector's complex is because a lot of people with good hearts have stepped in to, you know, to do things. Food security is a perfect example. From churches to agencies that focus on something different, um, you know, people will say, oh, these people don't have enough food. We better do something. And then suddenly they're collecting food and they're distributing food and they're trying to help. But, th- but there's no real understanding and strategy of how you would do that well. And so, and mental health is another thing that it's so complex that it, it touches so many of the social services that then they try to start helping and making a difference, but yet they don't have expertise. So it so it is really complex. Um, you know, the, the process at uh, way back in pharmaceuticals when we were trying to get feedback and we tried in you know, in surveys, in, um, it could be a following a session is, you know, fill out your form about your satisfaction from, you know, the room to the meal to the different sessions to doing focus groups is very often people say nice things until they leave and they talk to their friends and then they say something different um, or, or they're not sure what to say so they say it in a way that you don't know what it means. And one of the things I, I've learned um, and, and seem to, to use to my advantage is just complete honesty. So if I sit and go, you know, I'm not sure that worked or I'm concerned about, and then I speak some of the negatives, mm-hmm. then it's like people feel like, oh, if he sees the negatives and he doesn't it feel it's happening, he's been willing to communicate it to us, then I feel safe that I can say mm-hmm. it. Now, I've, I mean, I've had it. I've had it happen where you know other people in the room who've been part of whatever we're doing are like, "Would you stop doing that?" Like, you know, you've you've pulled out all this, you know, negative thinking. Like, we want to hear the positives, and I said, "Well, yeah, I'd love to hear the positives, but we absolutely have to hear the negatives because that's where we need to improve." Mm-hmm. And so, I when I first started at Kerr Street, one of the first things that happened is. Um, I sat down at a table during a meal and I introduced myself to a couple of women and I made a comment about, I'm happy to be here and I'm hoping we can make improvements and I'd love to hear what you like and what you don't like. I think, I think the term I used after that was, you know, I'd like to hear the good, the bad and the ugly. Mm-hmm. And they said, really? So they came back a few days later, I got a little note that they wanted to see me and we met in our boardroom and they told me things like, you know, in the old basement they used to be in. There was no division and so they felt it was their place and they would sometimes help with a meal and they would sometimes carry in food and they're like, now this doesn't seem like our place. Mm -hmm. So here we are in this beautiful new building but for protection and safety, you know, there's more rules and clients couldn't volunteer and the locks on the door and, uh, you know, that was a really great example of this is for them, this Mm -hmm. is about them. This is a community space. If the people we're serving feel like they're not good enough to help and not good enough to participate, then we're doing the exact opposite of what we need to do. Mm -hmm. And so that was a big change. Um, I can think, you know, we have a program called Choose Fresh where it's uh, fresh uh, produce one week and proteins the next. And we were so excited about this program. And we set a a number of, you know, approximately 150 families. We served probably 250 families at the time. And uh, we didn't get to that number nearly as quickly as I thought. Then when we started looking at the numbers, we were getting like 20 new people sign up and six or seven or eight, you know, not register. And so the staff were excited and the volunteers were excited about the growth. But I kept saying... Something's wrong. Like, why would someone opt out of this program? And so that that pushed the the group to go start asking questions. Well, we found out the Muslim moms would make yogurt from three percent milk. We were giving everyone four liters of two percent milk, so they were opting out because too much milk. Um, singles and seniors were finding there was too much produce; they couldn't eat it all, and they hated to see it go to waste. So there was a variety of things where you know thinking that it's not good enough and asking the question of what uh, you know of how can this be something doesn't match and then going and having to in some ways it was poke and prod with different questions until mm-hmm. they told us the truth may you know we were able to make adjustment after adjustment after adjustment and to net till now in the last few months, we've had the opposite problem where the numbers are increasing so fast. <laughs> we're wondering how we can keep up to it. <laughs> but but it's, you know, no one's dropping out. So clearly they're satisfied, um, you know, where if they're opting out, they're, they're you, you have to make the assumption that something's yeah. not right.
1: Well, I love that idea of probing, asking questions, making changes because all over time it creates trust uh because you're actually listening and at first i'm not going to tell you because i for a whole bunch of reasons uh but i might not feel comfortable you sharing but listening how do you as a guy who likes to uh, solve problems hold space for people to share their ideas and that because i imagine you uh, you mentioned earlier you're a guy who solves problems and you love to get in there and get the problems but so what have you had to do as a leader because you know uh, the best leaders don't don't do everything, and they and they don't leap to solve really quickly. They actually hold the space first to really understand what's going on. Because your first idea might not be the best idea. So I'm just mm-hmm. curious of what you do as a as a person who's keen and service oriented and really want to help. But how do you? And I think you're touching on a little bit of that of really just. Um, you know, thinking through that.
2: Yeah, yeah. You know, it's 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 amazing sometimes when you when you start to understand yourself better and you realize how some of your weaknesses are your greatest strengths. <laughs> I can really struggle making decisions because I want to make the right decision, the best decision. I need all the information. So so that has led to many many times over the years is inviting you know people's input um, to to get more information to make the decision easier to make it more comfortable. And what I learned, you know, so many times is that they had information that was critically important to make a good decision. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the decision became more obvious as they put their input in, or sometimes the decision that I was thinking um, clearly would have been a disaster. And then one person, and sometimes it could have been, you know, the least experienced, the least knowledgeable in their innocence and naivety made a comment that we all turned and said, oh my goodness, we never thought of that. Right. So again, like I, we call it at Street Mission consultative decision making. Mm-hmm. Like let's gather around the table, everyone say their two cents. Let's try to figure out what's best, and then go from there. The other piece that I'm a huge believer in is, you know, it sort of goes back to that initial team with different people. There's there's more than one way to do something, mm-hmm. and there was a few times when I was absolutely convinced my way was the right way. Even after the fact, I thought my way would have worked really well. But we did it another way because no one agreed. And then you realized, oh, that worked pretty good too. So, right. you know, there's a lot more ways than doing it. And then, you know, through some, some successes and, and more failures, I realized, uh, you know, again, the hard way is that you're better off having a plan that's not as good, that people are excited about and believe in and take ownership of, having a fantastic plan that's my own plan that they're not convinced because it will not work unless people take ownership and sometimes plans that aren't so good they're so determined to prove that it wasn't a bad idea and take and they take enough ownership that they figure out all the you know all the bumps and problems and they end up getting success um so you know that that kind of attitude and empowering people to be a part of it um one gives me comfort because <laughs> it relieves some of the stress of the decision. But really, it creates the power of the team. And and people need to see it enough times to believe that's the truth. Mm-hmm. It's the same with, like I, I'll say to the team all the time is, you know, I want you to tell me the truth. I want you to, you know, it's okay to argue with me. And I said, uh, and I've said to, you know, the other senior leaders and others, I said, if I ever don't respond well, Please call me on it Mm. because there's nothing worse than when you, you know, you you get that courage up and you go and you talk to someone and then they respond so poorly that it tells you I can never do that again. Mm. And uh, what has been interesting at Kerr Street, um, more so than any other job I've had, is there's been times when people have come to me and said, I've had a conversation with so-and-so and there's something going on. And I feel, you know, for confidentiality reasons, you know, I don't want to break their trust. But they really, really need to talk to you. And then the person will finally come. And that other person has been encouraging and pushing them and saying to them, you know you, you, you know, you can talk to Gary about anything. You know he cares. You know, you know he's going to want to hear this. Uh, but it's amazing how, regardless of how many years it is, people's fear creeps in. Bad experiences rise to the surface, not with me necessarily, but mm-hmm. probably somewhere else, and they start to lose that confidence, and and they just won't come. And then we can't solve it. We can't make an adjustment. Um, so you know, continually working on and inviting and 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 responding well and apologizing if I don't, and encouraging teammates to you know encourage their teammates to come. It started to create an environment where people do feel safer. Yeah. Um, and then being transparent, right, is is being willing to share stuff and talk or, you know, again, being the first to be critical and saying, oh, I did this mm. and or we did this. And now that I reflect back on it, it wasn't good enough. And, you know, I'm sorry if, you know, if this came out the wrong way, people then suddenly feel like, oh, if he's if he's being critical, I can be critical mm. And, and again, sometimes it opens up a, you know, a much bigger box than we ever imagined. But I think it's really important.
1: Yeah, it goes back to your first story of modeling the modeling the way you want it to be, whether, you know, whether it's cleaning the toilets and sticking your arms in and kind of doing that or just uh, being vulnerable, uh, just, you know, uh, opening that space, just. Just being curious and questioning. We we've talked on the show that there the three unarguable statements are. I th- our conversations are. I think. I feel. I sense. If you actually begin the conversation, I'm thinking. I feel. I sense. Those are all great conversations mm-hmm. and uh, setting the tone with your folks with those things with uh, or saying. You know what? I probably went about that the wrong way and upon reflection I'm sorry that models a beautiful behavior shift that boy if we all became more and more consistent in that what a beautiful place it would be
2: yeah for sure and you know feeling is an interesting thing right i mean i think i learned this from you know having kids and watching them sometimes they have feelings of anger or upset or whatever and it's it's not justified and it's not fair but you know, you can say that to them. You can explain that to them. But if they're feeling hurt or they're feeling sad or they're feeling angry, that's what they're feeling. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter whether it's justifiable or not. And, you know, I think I'm very much a feeling person. My you know personality styles will say that. Um, so, you know, it's a, it's a thing I naturally go to is how are you feeling? Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of people struggle to, you know, struggle to share it. And sometimes they'll feel guilty like, uh, you know, it's it's not right or I shouldn't be, I should be stronger, I should be whatever. But I just believe people need to be encouraged.
0: I think that's, uh, I, I love what you're saying here and I think it's touched on like 50% of the, the episodes that we've talked about. But this understanding yourself like you going, oh, I'm a feeling person. You know, how many times have we experienced people in our lives that, you know, are walking around with a facade and, and really like get a hold of yourself. You are a certain type of person you know, celebrate that, let everybody else see it. And I was wrong. I don't know how many times I've heard that from leaders in my career, not enough. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, that collaboration, you said about 12 words that I want to repeat and I'm just going to repeat a couple of them, but that collaborative way of making decisions, you know, people know that in, in, in Kerr Street, that that's the way that you do it and you show it every time there's a decision to be made and, you know, even making maybe not the best decision, but one that everybody's going to buy into and work hard on. Okay. I mean, they feel, they feel, and in, in those types of thought processes, I think, you know, I think it escapes a lot of leaders, you know, be be comfortable with yourself, be comfortable with the team, show them who you are. These are all things I, I think are pretty basic, but I don't know if they're always exhibited by the people that, that lead us.
2: Yeah, I, I, I don't, Yeah, I don't think they are very often. And I think, you know, there's so many factors that that play into it. But, you know, people, the confidence they'll get and the insights that they'll give if they feel like they're a part of it and, and, and you actually care what they say. Uh, will make a big difference in them moving forward i'm, a, I'm also a huge believer again part of it's because of the way i learn and learn by doing is the the lessons that really stick better than anything are the ones that come from failure mm-hmm. and you know that's we talk about this with our youth at, at Kerr street is you know you give them opportunities to uh, to lead or to do something they're going to rise to the challenge or they're going to fail As long as the failure is not too big, they have their greatest learnings in in those two moments. It's in the in-between when you're just, you know, doing whatever and comfortable that you don't learn much. The cruising. Yeah. And, And I think, you know, we, this is, again, something hard as a leader is there's times when, you know, you give someone an assignment or you give, you know, you delegate a task and you really need it to go a certain way. And I desperately want to sort of guide them. And then there's a part of me that's saying, you're trying to get them to do it the way you would do it and the way you're comfortable with. There's many ways to skin a cat. Mm-hmm. Let them do it their own way. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't work, then, okay, that's going to be their greatest learning and they're going to move forward. Um, yeah, and, and again, that can be really, really hard. Uh but, but, you know, people need to, to know they have that room to fail and they're going to be okay with it. And, you know, you're just going to make the adjustments. Um, but, you know, again, how many leaders do that? You know, sometimes it's in it's an, an a lack of time and a lack of effort and a lack of follow-through that you get a chance to go try something. And, uh, and I've had cases, you know, now that we're talking about it, I can think of one time when my boss gave me something supposed to help me, never did, never did. I went and did it, and it worked great. And he took a lot of credit for it. And the next time the same thing happened, he didn't have a time to follow up and it bombed. And then he was all over me and it's like, <laughs> you were supposed to help. <laughs> yeah. Well,
1: I, I think that's one of the things is that, you know, uh, uh, failure in a, in a supportive community is powerful. Uh, because it, that that allows people to really take the the chances and really be able to go for cuz know that they're trusted so if you knew your boss was with you yeah you know i tell a story about safe, race spaces where my mom encouraged me to go back out into the the crowd with the kids that kind of bullied me a little bit but i tell the story of her as i walked down this the the walkway i saw the curtain right she was watching me and knowing that someone's with me gives me the courage to step into it. So in community, if you can do that. But we've all had those situations where, um, you know, fair weather bosses, that if you're winning, we're with you. If you're not, we're not. So yeah. uh, be, it's a yeah. good thought.
2: Yeah, You know what? It, it just makes me think of a fascinating experience I had when I was trying to do the consulting. Is when I'd been in pharmaceuticals and we, you know, the marketing team had rolled out a plan and done market research on messaging and all that. Um, a lot of times the reps didn't fully believe that made sense, didn't think it was relevant, and people would go their own way. And so I came up with this idea of, You know, we should do, you know, sort of a different kind of market research is wait a few months and then go to the reps and tell them, you know, what's the, what's the message that's connecting? What should the message be? You know, what is, what is the key, you know, sort of strategy and what are we hinging things on and see what they say and then see if it matches. Mm -hmm. So I went to the three business unit leaders in the company that I had left and one said, and not surprisingly, he's went on to great things internationally, but he said, that's a fantastic idea. And he said, we really, we need to do this right across the country. And uh, and he said, let's, let's start in, in, you know, my business unit. Unfortunately, he got transferred before we got a chance to do it. But the other business unit leaders said, uh, we don't need to do that with my business unit because my business unit's good and clear and like, they're totally on target. But the other two units, they really need that. And, uh, and then they said, and two of the guys said, and I wouldn't do that anyway, because I've told, you know, our CEO that we're on target, we're doing this, we have the best train. And he said, the last thing I want to do is come back with a different story. Huh. And I'm like, this is the success of your business. If they're not delivering the right messages and doing the right thing, what's the chance you're going to be successful? But they would rather not know, you know, not identify a problem and not correct it. Because they might look bad in uncovering that.
1: Yeah, now it goes. It goes back to your earlier conversation of of measuring, listening, tweaking, pivoting, and really the whole agile approach uh, to success is is kind of about that. That's yeah. the model, right? So yeah. wow.
2: and being humble enough to go. You know, it's not as good as I think it is. (laughs) Right, right. But here's what
1: we've discovered.
2: And and I still believe if they had went to their – if they had went to the CEO and said, look, we we decided to really test this and we've dug in and we did a creative way and look what we've discovered. And here's the correction we're having in place. I am – 90% 90% sure the CEO would have been very impressed by them and excited and more hopeful that they were going to be successful mm. but they weren't going to go there. Yeah. And again, how does that how does that instill confidence in the rest of your team? Yeah. It comes about down to this
0: collaborative approach as well, like, you know, you know, they just they got the blinders on, we're going. But, you know, somebody comes along with with market experience, experience in the in the industry and wants to have a conversation. It's like, "No, Shut it down. Yeah. Just yeah. shut it
2: down. Yeah. Yeah. S- same. I think you, you see the, you know, especially this happened in corporate when it's, you know, you, we, we have an idea, we want the whatever business unit director or whoever to, you know, to approve it. So then they look for all the support and they go and present it as if it's a, the obvious decision. There's no other decision. And then everything they want to do is support that decision where, you know, one of the things that that I say to the team all the time is if we haven't really wrestled over this decision, then we probably haven't thought it through. Because there's pros and cons and there's complications to every decision. And so, you know, again, I go back to my struggle of making decisions. Sometimes it can slow us down. Sometimes it can paralyze us. um, But it has created this collaborative and consultative um, decision-making process, which people really appreciate. And many times... People have said stuff or done stuff or brought insights that I would never have thought of. um, And then we ended up pivoting to a different direction. Or when it's not working, everyone's really comfortable to say, this is why I don't think it's working. And so I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't change it in any way. And I'd love to tell you that I was so smart and clever that I designed this <laughs> purposely. <laughs> but
0: you know what? I I love this because we we've talked about this before. You know, you got a bunch of people around the table. Chances are you hired most of them. You hired them for a reason. Why wouldn't you listen to them and have a conversation with them? Like especially, you know, you've got a nice variety of people, a variety of experiences. You put them around a the table. Why wouldn't you take advantage of that and and talk something through and and I've hired people that I've had dealings with before and they called me on something and said, no, we can't do this because of this. Or have you thought of that? Or like, Alistair, are you crazy? We can't do this. I've hired people because I've had previous conversations with them where they've called me on something. I yeah. this is the person I want around the table or across the table from me when we're talking about something. I want them to care enough about what we're doing to say, Alistair, what are you doing? Or I don't think this is a good idea and this is why. Or listen, I heard something... Uh, else and I think it needs to be folded into this decision. I think we need to know about this before you go off and make a decision or we make a decision. I think that's so important.
2: Yeah. Patrick Lencioni in his books talks about, you know, that conflict and mm-hmm. the need for conflict and, and I think that's exactly what it is. Um, you know, the, the yeah, the I, I've, I've often said to teams as well as, you know, in, in previous life if someone was negative, you know, they were, or, or complained about something, they were seen as negative and uh, you know sometimes I mean we'd hear it all the time is you know don't don't say anything negative unless you have a you know constructive solution and uh, and I had a very different different thought process around that I thought you know sometimes the, the negative people are the ones that care enough that, that they're voicing the negativity I would rather have to deal with that than have people that just don't care enough and go fine that's what you want to do I mean I don't think it's going to work but you know, I'll do it. I don't care. You're never going to succeed with those people. But, you know, the ones the ones that are complaining are, you know, even if they don't get it, at least now I know they don't get it and they're not going to implement it. So now I need to, uh, you know, figure out how to get them on board or come up with an alternative that they're going to be on board for. Because if they're just going out and going through the motions, it's not going to work.
0: I think that's funny that, you know, when somebody speaks, i say, hang on for a second. No, I don't think this is going to work. We, we, you know, or what are you doing? We say that's negative, but is it negative or is it because somebody cares and they're looking at it critically from their point of view and they may have a different experience than you. They're helping. They're saying, listen, like I'm I'm having a problem with this. This is kind of, you know, top two, three, two or three things that I'm worried about. And is that negative or is that somebody that cares and, and, you know, is being critical, but it's not to, you know, crap all over something, it's to, you know, bring some clarity yeah. to the process.
2: That's right. They, they want they want success and they want to see it go well, or maybe they just don't like the way it went and were uncomfortable with the way it went, and so they're complaining, you know, or they're, or they're bringing up something, and it's like, yes, we, sh- we should listen to that. It's the same. I mean, I had, when I, you know, one particular boss, I remember, you know, he had an ID and he wanted to do something, and I came back with to him with a list of questions. And him and I had worked for quite some time. I used to often come up with an idea and we were ready to implement. And then I would go, you know, but have have we thought this through? And I'd come up with my list of questions and make us think deeper about it. So he had the idea. I came up with a list of questions. And he was very upset at me for challenging him. And uh, that has stuck with me. So, again, one of the things I'll say to uh, staff now is if we've made a decision and you don't think it's right, ask the question. Because I'm either going to have an answer or you just – you just saved me because you've you've asked a question that we hadn't thought through, and we should have an answer. And I can't tell you the number of times where a donor, or a program partner, or whatever has has been concerned about something or not happy, happy, and they ask a question. It's like we thought of that, and then I give them their answer, and like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, and 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 they don't always agree. But I have had people tell me that they, you know, they said one of the things I love and I really respect is you're a deep thinker and you've thought it through and, you know, from every aspect. Well, that's partly because, you know, we've encouraged staff and others to ask a whole bunch of questions. And again, it's not so that I'm so smart and clever that I thought of every question. And really, it really goes back to humility, mm. right, is uh, keenly aware of, of weaknesses and, and, uh, and keenly aware of the value other people bring and it's like, you know, someone can be brand new and, uh, you know, whether they're working on a front desk or, you know, cleaning or whatever. And it's like, we're thinking about this. What's your perspective? Because mm. they see it from a completely different place than I see it from. And uh, and, that, and that to me has made a, a huge difference. And, and Kerr Street, again, is one of those environments where, you know, even more so than corporate, we we're, we're a ministry where we're trying to, Help people, and we're trying to give people dignity and treat them like they're valuable. And so we talk a lot about, you know, if if we can't treat each other and we can't treat volunteers with with respect and and compassion and grace, then how are we going to do with the clients? Mm -hmm. And so this has to filter through everything we do. you know, so that so that humility part, you know, gets reinforced really when the person who's the least experienced, you know, asks a question out of their own naivety, as I mentioned before. And you realize, oh my goodness, <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> that just saved us.
0: Yeah. I had, I had a similar experience to kind of the one you mentioned earlier. I had to report to two very senior people and I went like these two people, like they're just gonna run me over. Right. And so I had fourteen questions on a piece of paper on agenda items. I said, So we're good to go. I said, um I have agenda items and, you know, realizing that we needed to create an atmosphere where I had some input into this, that I could help define what the issues are and the way to approach them because I had a lot of responsibilities. (laughs) And so I think we went like 15, 20 minutes over and we, we handled like four or five of them and they went, I guess we're going to carry on next week. Sure, sure. But you know, realizing how important it is for everybody in that meeting to have a say and be able to ask questions. And I knew I was going to get run over if I, didn't, if I didn't kind of draw a line and say, listen, I have questions about what we're doing or what you want me to do or my team to do. So uh, do you want me to send them ahead of time or like how do you want to run this? But I have questions and I need certain things answered when I'm going to approach something. So I need to ask you. And I went, oh, it's just not about them talking, you know, high level, you know, being philosophical about it. You know, I have some very grungy questions about what we're doing and how we're going to get there.
2: Well, I'm sure you've both experienced I think we've all experienced it where you think it's clear. And, you know, when you, when, you send people off and then they go they go and do something very different than what you talked about. But that was the way they interpreted it. Mm. And then the other piece is, you know, sometimes they go and it's a, a half-hearted effort and you realize later that they never really believed in it and they didn't think it was going to work. And no wonder they put in a half-hearted effort. And, you know, again, how, how do you get to that point when it, when there's clarity and when there's buy-in, you, you need to, you need to get people to, to talk it through. And I would say that's a weakness of mine is, you know, you can you get excited about, or I can get excited about something. I can describe it two or three ways. I can get up on the whiteboard, which I'm famous for doing and diagram it out and have a conversation where I think everyone's clear. And, you know they're not clearly they're not later it becomes apparent or maybe within a day or two days or a week or then some of the side conversations with other people it becomes muddy and uh yeah and and it doesn't go well um you know that's another thing that i like to say all the time is you know if you leave a meeting and you're clear um you know maybe i ask you to repeat it back what do you think this means and you describe it back and you get it like perfect I said, the moment you're not clear, whether it be a day or a week or two weeks later, come back because you know you're not clear. I don't know you're not clear. Mm-hmm. And, and that has been, that's been a hard, hard battle, which I don't think we've won yet. And part of it's because it never ends is, is people will complain about, you know, well, I'm just not clear on what I'm supposed to do. And, and my response wants to be, well, you're blaming me for that? You knew you weren't clear. Why didn't you come and ask? But that's not people's tendency. I, I've never met, and well, that's not true. Maybe one person that I know would be relentless to keep coming back and asking. But most people will stumble around in the dark and not know. And a good friend of mine, who's he's the CEO at the YMCA, he made a comment that people like to migrate to the things they like to do. And so... You know, part of it's the lack of clarity. Part of it is let's do what I like. Part of it is I'm busy and you weren't available. And then we wonder later on, well, how come? How come that didn't work out? Hmm.
0: Well, I think we could probably do a three-part series I with, think with so. Gary. Yeah, and great. I'm very cons. Uh, I'm taking a look at the time because I think we're going to lose the room any minute now. So before we lose any opportunity, if you could uh, let our listeners know what Kerr Street is and what it does. I think that that benefit our listeners, definitely. Yeah, we yeah. keep talking about it.
2: Yeah, yeah. We have mentioned it a few times. So, you know, when when I started at Kirst Street Mission, you know, the, the, the board and staff would have described it by a list of programs. And I've been adamant since I started is we don't want to ever be defined as a list of programs. We're an organization that responds to people that are in need. Usually it's low income. Um, and that's that's why they've come but uh, we, we want to provide care and a community of support. So we have two sort of focuses. One is child and youth development. The idea is, if, you know, if we get involved with these kids early enough and do some of the right things, they have a better chance of a better and brighter future and not being in poverty. And then for families that are in poverty, it's how do we come alongside and help them get to a more, a better place, a more stable place, maybe even out of poverty. And so we do have a whole host of programs from, you know, food market to kids' programs to a Christmas program to, you know, a number of other things. But we um, also have partnerships. Like Cushry Mission has a high school. So there's a high school on our second floor. It's run by the Halton District School Board. It's for um, kids that are, have fallen behind and are not on track to graduate. And uh, we provide a great environment, we provide some co-op opportunities, we provide some other things, um, but, but we, we leverage the Halton District School Board's program and their expertise. We also, we have other collaborations like that, but we also take um, just as many people that we serve, almost, and we take them out into the community to connect them to other service providers, because we can't do everything and there's other people with expertise, and so how do we connect them in? Uh, to those um, those services. So, you know, Curse Mission really is a, what we call a hub of care. And if someone doesn't know, you know, needs help, doesn't know where to go, um, doesn't know who to turn to, they can come to us, and we will do our best to, you know, welcome them with open arms, to treat them with love and compassion, and, uh, you know, to walk alongside them to, to you know, to, to help them, you know, make some changes and move forward.
0: Is there anything going on right now that our listeners uh, should know about that, you know, if they have any information or is there any projects or things going on kind of appeals right now that people might be interested in hearing? About? Yeah, you
2: know, the the, the, the I mean, there's always lots, but the number one, I'll give you some stats. I usually like to keep away from stats, but uh, last year from September to December, we had Uh, uh, 173 families as part of our Choose Fresh program. So that's the program where they get a big bag of uh, um, produce one week and proteins the next, and then it alternates. Um, We actually do something very different. The families pay $20 a month, and we pay an extra $60 a month, so it works at $20 a week and we purchase directly from suppliers. So it's actually greater value than what they pay, Uh, but it's consistent. They always know they're going to have these core products and they're healthy products for their family. Um, So we went from 173 September to December to we averaged 210 families from January to July, and in August we have 242 families registered we have 30 in the last three months we've had 30 ukrainian families register Um, you know they've been called displaced families and not refugees Uh, so they don't qualify for the typical refugee um, support Um, there is a, a local church that has sponsored 15 additional families and only one of those families is registered with us. They've helped them go through the process of applying for Ontario works or what we would call welfare what people used to call welfare. Uh, and they've been declined. So the question we have is how, how are they supposed to live? And so what we've like some of our families, the, the dads are still in Ukraine and they're either in the in fighting and they get paid for that and they'll send money, try to send money here. Um, and then some of them are still working in some of the jobs and roles that are necessary there, and they're trying to maintain their house and their themselves there, but then send money here um, because they're not qualifying for anything. So you know, there's a great need for uh, Choose Fresh, and for sixty dollars a month, uh, you could you know you could cover the really healthy food for for a family. Um, and the Ukrainian families, again, like part of this This woman, she bought 4,000 <laughs> pieces of clothing uh, over the course of four months and it, or three and a half months. And it started when she saw uh, a couple of Ukrainian families at the airport were arriving. And the mom had like a little, you know, travel wheelie bag. And that was the only luggage they had. And she had her handbag. Mm-hmm. And this woman was thinking... What are they going to do? Where are they going to go? And what we're finding is like some of the stores where you would get secondhand clothing or like kitchen supplies, for example, um, they have nothing left. Everything's been picked over. And so how are they, how are they going to outfit the, themselves and their families? So um, that would be sort of our, our number one need right now. And, and who knows where it's going? It doesn't mm-hmm. look like it's stopped. According to the government, they've... Uh, in terms of the number of Ukrainian displaced families that they're allowing to come into the country, one quarter have arrived. Hmm. Oh, wow. So there's a lot of people still to come and, uh, and we haven't figured out how to look after the first group yet.
0: So what we'll do is we'll put, uh, Kerr street ministries, uh, website on our, on our show notes. Mm -hmm. So if people want to reach out and and help out, uh, that will point them towards the right direction. So, uh, Gary, uh, We are so thankful that you came here. I think we definitely need to do a part two at some point. Greg, what do you Mm -hmm. think? I agree.
2: I told you I talk a lot. Hey, that's what it's about. (laughs) Hey,
0: a good interview is when the the person uh, visiting does 95% of the talking. Mm -hmm. I think we're pretty well done that. Mm -hmm. So that's perfect. So I'm just going to wrap up really quick. And at some point, we're definitely going to have to bring you back. So uh, listen, uh, Gary, thank you very much for hanging out with us. Uh, Listen, folks, we hope that some of what we've spoken about you find helpful. We hope that you didn't find anything we spoke of offensive or made you angry. But... Greg, I think we do need your uh, philosophy tonight. We've talked about a lot of stuff. Yeah. It's going to take me forever to kind of for it all this thinking. I'm have agree. to listen a couple times. I agree. Uh, we always end
1: with uh, my happier peeve philosophy. And when I was uh, first, my first coach, uh, she said, "You know, when we leave our sessions, you're you're going to feel really good." And you're going to feel churny and peeved. And the good is when you recognize you are doing things well, you're moving in the right direction, you're learning and growing. And the peeved is when sometimes you hear something, you say, oh, shoot, you know what? I got more work to do. So we always say in this podcast that we hope you that you get a little joy and you get a little churn. And uh, But from both of them, you have a choice to grow and learn. And Gary shared a lot around, you know, some of his best growth has happened in the Kerenshi stuff. So uh, we hope that uh, in this podcast, you've had a little bit of both, uh, but you choose to move forward with whatever you're walking away with.
0: Yeah, and I I think this is one of those episodes where, you know, we're hoping people look outside of themselves to the the community around them and wherever they're listening, because we have people listening all over the world that uh, you know, people hear this and it just reinforces how important it is to look uh, at the community around you and see where there's a need. And whether that's your skill set or money or food or whatever it is, uh, I think there's a role for all of us to play in that. So thank you very much, Gary. So remember, people matter. Take the time with the people you work with. They're an important part of your job, your success or your failure, and also look out for those people in the community. Talk to you next time. Take care.